0: Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We are looking at verses 12 through 14. And what we're going to do is encounter four different groups of people here, one general and three specific. As the Apostle John writes and says in verse 12: I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 13. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. Verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, The best way to deal with these three verses is to separate them into four different categories, as I mentioned before, and deal with each one of them individually. Um, The first category are little children, mentioned in verse 12, which is a Greek word, the technion, that refers to general uh, offspring of any age, and therefore is used to address the entire congregation, and that's the general group I was talking about, okay? The second category are also listed as little children, that's in verse 13, but that's a different Greek word. This Greek word actually refers to an infant or little child. And so this actually addresses all the spiritually young children or new converts in the congregation. Okay, so that's a different group again. The third category are young men, mentioned in verses 13 and 14. And refer to those in the congregation who can best be described as spiritual warriors. And that's the second specific group now. So the first was the little children. The fourth and final category and the third specific group are the fathers mentioned in verses 13 and 14 and refer to the most mature believers within the congregation. And this would be the group that the Apostle John and the other apostles would have belonged to as well. Amen? Okay. Now, just before all of us declare ourselves as fathers... (laughs) mothers too, okay, all right, (laughs) you you understand what I'm saying, the most mature in the group, all right, (laughs) I, Howard Marshall makes it clear that all Christians should have the innocence of childhood, the strength of youth, and the mature knowledge of age, did you get that, all right, we should, (laughs) in other words, as we progress from one stage to the next, we should never give up one for the other. Amen? We should grow in each, becoming ever stronger, wiser, and more powerful along the way. Now, that's something that is so important because what happens a lot of times is, you know, you see these fathers in the faith and they're old and they just don't believe nothing almost. And they just get to the stage where they just look at the young men and, you know, women in Christ that are, you know, forging on and they say, yeah, yeah, one day you'll settle down too. That's their great wisdom. That's, that's not, a, you know, <laughs> that is not the fathers we're talking about here. And the reason I'm bringing this out is, is because to get to that stage, you need to, be, you need to excel at the other two stages and continue to excel at them. Do you understand? And so that's the reason why we need to look at each one very specifically and understand what we need to have in our life. Along the way, and also what we need to keep in our life, the things that make you take you from being you know a little child to a young man or young woman in, in, in the Lord, is what 's going to keep you there. So if you stop doing the thing that got you there, you won 't be that anymore and, and you know that 's really what happens, and we 're going to talk about what all that means, and you begin to understand why it is so important that we keep a hold of everything, and that 's really why, why I, I appreciate what I. Howard Marshall said in that we need to have all of those things in our life active all the time. So what should be happening is in your life as you as you go from being a little child or you know yeah, well little children he says to a young man or woman in God, that should be a, a block that's built on that remains and gets stronger in time. So when we look at you over time and if you get to that stage where you are a father and mothers too, you understand it's just meaning parent, okay? When you get to that stage in life, we should see all of these things burning bright in your life. We shouldn't see one of those things dulled out and, you know, something else burning strong. Because if that starts to dull out, then this side will start to dull out as well. Can I say that? And it really saddens me that people get to that place. and all they, That's what I used to get by people that were back then, my age. You know, I'd just be on fire for God. Guess what? The fire never went out. It got stronger, more specific, more surgical. And see, what the fathers should be handing down is helping the little children to, to really grow in that stage and, on, and make them understand that they, as fathers, haven't grown out of that. That they're just full of wonder and amazement at the Word of God constantly. Are you all with me? Because that's what takes you to the place where you can use the word to overcome the evil one. Amen. And that's what then brings you to a place of maturity about just because we can fight, do we fight today? Pick your battles. You need to know that you're not fighting God. (laughs) Okay? Some people are so busy fighting, they fight God on top of everything else. You know, they fight the, the devil, God, and everybody else in between. Amen. You all with me? Okay, that's the maturity that you get. Alright, but that's not what we're talking about today. Okay, so <laughs> with all of this in mind, let's go back to verse 12. Because the Apostle John is going to deal with all of us to begin with here. And I believe he's dealing with all of us all the way through. But he says here in verse 12, 1 John 2, verse 12. He begins with the words, I write to you. The reason that the Apostle John writes these things and doesn't express it verbally, is best explained by Simon J. Kissamaker, who writes, the members of the church are apt to forget the spoken word. <laughs> Hello? But <laughs> that which is written stays. Amen? And we need to understand that there is a, the, the importance of the written word of God, you can't misunderstand it, you can't misquote it. You know, a lot of times, have you heard some, somebody will say something, And when you hear it from somebody else, 12 people later, it's something totally different. You know what I'm trying to say? Because things change. As people pass messages on, they're not always the same. Which is the reason why some things have to be written down. Because they need to be that accurate. They need to be followed with a certain accuracy. And can I say something else? If it isn't written down, we can't quote the word. Amen. You know, even in, 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 in um, secular organizations, their, their rules are written down so that they can quote certain things. So that so, somebody isn't going to stand there and go, Oh, no, that's not what I heard. Have you heard that one? Yeah? Yeah, but that's, that's not what they said. Yeah, yeah. And then you're arguing. If you've got it written down, you just bring it out, put it out there. It ends the whole argument. And you know who you're arguing with? The devil. Because he says, oh, that God didn't really mean that. That wasn't literal. That was figurative. And you know what? He sold that to us. We bought it. And then we're wondering how things, why things aren't working the way they should. Amen. Moving on. Furthermore, it is the written word that can be passed down from generation to generation without error. And used against the enemy. And this is what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4 verse 4. I've been talking about this. Remember what he said when the enemy came against him? He said, it is written. He didn't say, no, it was said. <laughs> okay? Because the devil would have said, yeah, well I heard something different. He said, it is written. And that was it. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. There's a huge revelation there, but I don't have time for it today. Okay. (laughs) He could say this. He could say it is written only because it was written. All right. And even when the devil now tried to misquote what was written, we, we find Jesus saying to this deceiver in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. This is the same incident. He says it is also written. Amen. So, you know, you need to know what's written. And you need to know when it's being misquoted so you can say, yeah, but it's also written because sometimes people take stuff out of context and then try to sell something to you that's not true so you need to know what's also written but notice that it is written amen and so when you can, you know that's that's when you can take something else that's written and bring it up against some something that somebody might be using wrongly to say it is written and that's why it's that's why, again, it needs to all be written. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> the Word of God is a powerful thing. That's why the uh, um, writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful. We need to understand that the Word that we have is a living Word. Now, it lives in you. On the page, it's dead. Okay? You, you can't throw this Bible at, some, you know, at a devil and it works. It will just pass through him. You all know that, right? Okay. Just in case you're trying. People do crazy things with Bibles. You know, I sort of, have you seen the old movies? You know, this demon is coming. Ooh, and, and the person will grab their Bible and they'll hold it in front of them. And the demon will kill them. And all the religious people get upset. Why? It won't do anything here. <laughs> you know? It's written so you can use it. So you can memorize it. So it can get down in your heart and it can come out with the power that it needs. That's when it becomes living and powerful. But if it wasn't written, you would never know to go read it. You would never know to meditate on it. Amen? Because it will be changing all the time. But here it never changes. It will stay the same. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So again, in Hebrews 4.12. And again, I'm bringing out the reason why the Apostle John says, I write this to you. And we need to understand he's writing it for a purpose. He says again, For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing him into the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As you begin to memorize and meditate upon the Word of God, it will really search your heart. It will start to question all the things that... You know, maybe all the things that you've been hanging on to that's not good for you, it will start to deal with those things. Can I just say this? It isn't there to take stuff away from you that's helping you. Some preachers do that, and religious Christians do that, but God's Word doesn't. Do you hear me? It is there to enhance what's working and remove what's not. So that you become a person that is extraordinary in your life, the end of your life. And that's what we all want to go there, amen? You know, average is for the other guy, okay? All right. it it is obvious that the Apostle John understood the importance of the written word, especially since he was the one who also understood its origin. John chapter 1 verse 1, what did he say there? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that incredible? It was all embodied in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is with this tremendous insight and understanding that he says again in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 12, I write to you. Now, who is he writing to? He says, first of all, little children, remember again, it's a different Greek word, it's sekmion, which means. The whole congregation. So he says, I write to you because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. This is what the Apostle John is saying. Can I just put it together now? I'll give you more insights, but let me just give you the the brief version to begin with. He's saying to all believers, you have it in writing that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Did you get that? So that nobody else can misquote it. You See, one of the biggest problems that we have in the body is is this sin consciousness. Is once we sin, once the enemy gets us to do something, he will just hold that on us and over us for the rest of our life. And then for the rest of our life, we are focusing on ourselves. Have you noticed when you focus on yourself, you can't help others very much? Because you're busy thinking about you. Let me say this, not everything is about you. (laughs) okay all right you know we need to get to the place where we get past that and we look to others and how to help others but if you are constantly thinking about your sin and how you've done wrong then you are always going to be doing something even the good things you do will be so that you can buy your way into heaven not because you are doing it as led by the spirit amen and then you pass the wrong message onto the person that you're helping as well Let's move on. Alright, now to explain the latter half of this verse, I Howard Marshall writes, The act of forgiveness here is expressed by a perfect tense. Meaning that John is thinking of the, co- the conversion of his readers. That is their new birth in Christ. Whereas in 1 John 1, 9, his thought was more of the continual forgiveness for which the Christian daily prays to get back into fellowship with God. Not relationship because the relationship never changed. Do you understand? So here we're talking about that salvation, that forgiveness that you receive that brings you into the family. First John 1.9 is the forgiveness that you need as a part of the family when you make mistakes and you mess up and you do the wrong thing and you just need to get it out of your life so that you don't allow the devil any access to your life. Are you all with me? Amen? See, there's, you need to know the difference. And the thing is that that forgiveness, when you first received Jesus Christ as Lord, when you came into the family... Those sins were forever forgiven. You need to realize that whatever happens after that, that record has been erased. It's not magically going to appear again sometime later on the, down the line when you, you know, if you turn out to be a real stinker. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you? Okay, <laughs> all right? It doesn't matter. That record was erased the moment you made Jesus Christ Lord. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to say? That's gone. It's finished. The only things that are going to be held against you from that point on, please get this. Are the things that you do from that point on. Do you understand the new birth? It's not, it's not right for God to punish you for something you did before you were born. Again. Get it? So you need to realize your life was new the day you received Jesus Christ as Lord. The whole, the, that old man. See that's what Second Corinthians five seventeen is all about. If any man is in Christ, he is a or woman as well. Okay, he is a new creature. All the things I'm, I'm, you know, paraphrasing here. But all things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. That's what happens when you get saved. So that means that your life started anew. But you need to get the revelation that all of your sins are forgiven. You can't be looking back on your life and thinking, wow, I did some really, really bad things. And you know, yes, I got saved, but now I've got to make up for it. Don't. Learn from it, but you don't have to make up for it. And so when you meet somebody who is going down that road, has got that burden on their life, you can help them out of it, amen? Help them to be free from it once and for all. And then it becomes your responsibility To do good for the sake of doing good. Because God's asking you to do it. Not because you you have to buy your way into heaven. You're in, sweetheart. How are you going to go there? Amen? That's what you need to decide. Alright. Let me continue. Therefore what the Apostle John is saying here is that based on his authority as an original disciple of Christ, He's assuring us in writing that our sins are forgiven, not because of anything that we did, but because of what Christ did on the cross for all mankind. Now, this was the same forgiveness that was promised throughout the Gospels. With Simon J. Kismar- Mark writing, the paralytic carried by four of his friends to the house where Jesus stayed, heard him say, son, your sins are forgiven. Remember, that's the first thing he said. He didn't say you're healed. He said your sins are forgiven. And from that came his healing. Interesting, isn't it? The sinful woman who entered the home of Simon the Pharisee and anointed Jesus' feet heard these words, your sins are forgiven. That is, God forgives sins once and for all. Sins have been, are, and remain forever forgiven. And all on the basis of Jesus' atoning death on Calvary's cross. Amen? That's why that cross is so important. It is the beginning of our life. It is, when anything goes wrong, we go back to it, because it, it, the great exchange takes place there. Our unrighteousness for His righteousness. Our sin for His totally perfect nature. Amen? So whatever nature we have, we can exchange it for His. Isn't it awesome? It's like one of those places, you know how they say, bring in your old shaver, we'll exchange it for a new one. <laughs> I remember those ones. <laughs> okay? You know, they don't refurbish your shaver, they give you a brand new one. You don't get a used up righteousness, you get brand new righteousness. Amen? When you leave there, you're perfect before God. Your spouse might have something else to say, but before God you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Alright? See, don't let other people define who you are. They don't know what's going on in inside of you, which is the reason why Jesus says, don't judge. You have no way of knowing what's going on on the inside of a person. And you know, you know one of the worst things that can happen? For you to have gone before God, ask for forgiveness, receive that cleansing and receive that blessing. Receive that assurance from God that you have been cleansed, you have been forgiven, you're right with me. And then somebody comes and says to you, oh, you know, brother, I saw you doing something last week. You know, you need to, you know, stop that stuff. Oh, I tell you, it take, that's all it takes. That's how the devil tries to bring you back. And you usually use people that are trying to, quote unquote, help you. Amen? And That can be really annoying. You know what I'm trying to say? Because you've got past it and they're bringing it up. Can I just say this? Are you all awake? Don't help the devil. Shh. Okay? Before you go do something, before you do any correction, you better have a burning bush experience. Amen? Amen? You, you know, I, I whenever God asks me to say something corrective, whew, we have a long time before I say it. <laughs> Some people are waiting to find mistakes in people. I don't. You know why? I always see the best in people. I expect the best from people. And if I want to say something, I want to encourage them out of something, not blame them for something. Are you all here? And I'll establish, first of all, that they haven't made it right with God before I say anything out of my mouth. If I can tell somewhere in the conversation, you know, I'll ask God sometimes to help them to re- reveal what is going on in their life. If, he, if I believe I've heard from Him about something, I'll always ask Him. You can Here is the time when you can ask Him for a sign. Because you don't want to pass judgment on something that isn't right. Do you hear me? Did you get that? So you ask him for a sign. And if you don't get one, shh. I was going to say shut up, but you know, shh. I said it. All right. <laughs> don't you love the way I go around that one? Okay. All right. Just, you know, just be quiet family. Okay. Don't upset people. Don't, don't take away what God might've take, taken, you know, a whole week, 24 hours a day to get them to get to this place where they finally confess their sin. They finally get, you know, get it out. And then you come along Wow. That's when God says, Please don't help. Amen. And while we think we're doing God favours, we are really not. We're hindering his work. Amen? But you know, can I just say this? If you're encouraging people, you can never encourage people too much. Now you take, you know, you you know what I'm saying, right? All right, moving on. Now this is what Jesus tried to, uh, himself tried to explain to his disciples following his resurrection about the forgiveness of sin. We're going to read in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. I was going to just read the little bit that we wanted, but I thought, this is a, I, I want to present this entire incident to you. We could have started before this on the road to Emmaus, but we'll, we'll pick up in verse 36. It says, as they said these things, this is what had happened on the road to Emmaus, all right? Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Notice, suddenly Jesus, this is a sudden appearance. How do we know this? Verse 37. They were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. Do you know why? Because he suddenly appeared. Are you all with me? I would freak somebody out, man. They hadn't seen Star Trek. They didn't know you could sort of beam something like that. Right? You need to know where they're at, okay? You need to know the time period. And people suddenly appearing like that freaking them out, okay? Verse 38 And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Really, Jesus? And <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about his appearance, he's talking about what is going on with them at the moment. He says, Why are you troubled? Why and why do doubts arise in your See, there's a difference between having a doubt in your head and a doubt in your heart. You know, you might have all kinds of doubts in your mind, but in your heart you just know it's okay. I have seen that, you know, a lot of you to your um, credit have said so many times things aren't going so well, but I know in my heart it's okay. Well done. These guys weren't in that place. See, you're so much better than them. Okay? All right. <laughs> no, no. We're going to meet them all up there so I can't speak badly. <laughs> They're going to say, you are the one that... No, no, it wasn't. Okay. I was just kidding, man. All right. Verse 39. He says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So you understand this is after the resurrection. This is after he had died. That's why they can't believe... He's standing before them. They saw him die. It was a very bad time. Verse forty. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why is he showing him his hands? Showing them his hands and his feet because the scars are still there. Remember, they had to nail his feet to the cross, nail his hands. And so he's saying, "It's me." You could see daylight through them. Pretty incredible, huh? But, while they still did not believe, this time for joy, okay, not for freaking out, alright, and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of broil fish and some honeycomb, and he took and ate it in their presence, and it fell right through. No, he didn't. (laughs) Even though he's a spirit, he can handle food. Do you know what that tells us? Praise God, when we're in that state, we can eat. Should I say still eat? Okay, hallelujah. You won't have to, but you can. It'll be social eating, you know what I'm trying to say? Some of us are very more social. In, anyway, anyway alright, <laughs> verse 44. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. See, now he's letting them know why this had to happen. They were all confused and they were just so saddened by his death. And they thought, what, you know, this is a person that could raise the dead. And he himself said, no man can take my life. I have the power to lay it down and pick it up. So whatever was happening, he was allowing it to happen. Sadly, it didn't happen the way it should have happened. It happened in a very, you know, a very different way than it should have. I've explained some of those that come to Bible college what should have happened. I don't have time to do it here today. Alright. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise, uh, rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47, which is what I want to get to. <laughs> okay. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Notice the two things. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, He was saying that, you know, the price has been paid. Your sins have been forgiven. It's all done away with now. And you need to know that there is a brand new life waiting for all of you. Because the price has been paid. Amen? And the Apostle Paul himself brought this out. When he preached to the Jews at Antioch and said in Acts chapter 13 verses 8 and 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because the other one, others weren't so good. It says here, brothers, listen. In this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. I mean that in itself is hallelujah. Just in him, in this man Jesus, there is forgiveness. Someone has paid a price so that you could be forgiven. Everything that is holding you back. Everything that is holding you down. Everything that stops you from progressing. has all been taken away. Just believe. And it will start to work. Hallelujah. Verse 39. Everyone who believes in Him is freed. Listen to this. Is freed from all guilt. And declared right with God. Something that the Jewish law, that's the law of Moses, could never do. Amen. You getting this? Amen? Everyone who believes in Him is freed from all guilt. Freed from guilt. See, that's the memory. That's the bad feeling. That's the thing that stops us. Can I just say this? If you had that removed from your life, you will find that suddenly... All things will become possible to you. Suddenly you'll realize that the sky itself isn't the limit. It goes beyond, (laughs) okay? That you have a life that is limitless, that could be lived on such a level that people can't even comprehend it. Amen. But only if you are freed from the tether to sin. And it just can't go further. Because you know why? Deep down inside, they think, I'm not worthy. We don't think we think it, but we do. Somewhere, when it just gets so much, we'll go back and think, yeah, but look at my past. What makes me think I can go that far into God's blessing, glory, whatever it is? Because you keep seeing that sinful nature. Are you here? Let go. Notice what he says again. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. You are declared right. Do you know that is righteousness? You are declared righteous before God. Hallelujah. And so there's nothing to stop God from blessing you in extraordinary ways. Will you receive it? In fact, I. Howard Marshall reminds us that forgiveness does not depend on human confession in the sense that this secures favor and pardon from God. It is granted on account of His name. A phrase which directs our minds back to what John has said about the blood of Jesus and His role as advocate and offering for sin. Remember First John 1, 7 and one, which also leads forward to the need for belief in His name. As brought out uh, in First John chapter 5, verse 13, where the Apostle John is going to tell us, he says, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Which is only possible if your sins are forgiven. Amen? That you may continue to believe in, his na- in the name of the Son of God. Therefore, as Thomas F. Johnson puts it, it is by faith In His name, that we are forgiven and have eternal life. With William MacDonald adding, It is a wonderful thing to know as a present possession. That means you possess it right now. Okay? Present possession, the complete remission of our sins. Notice too that our sins are forgiven for His name's sake. It is for Christ's sake that God forgives us our sins. Amen? Amen? That's why we have this assurance. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed as we conclude today. Father, we thank you